Well, hey there, and welcome to all of you watching online, all of our campuses, all of us here at Frisco East. Happy 4th of July. Man, we are so grateful, so grateful to live in this country, love our country, and uh, look around. Just look around the rooms at all of our campuses. The real Christians came to church today on the 4th of July, the ones going to heaven. No, I'm just kidding. Sort of being kidding. Um, Hey, excited about today. You know I'm kidding, right? Um, Excited about today. Um, We've been in a summer series, and the theme for the summer series has been wisdom. We've looked at some of the wisdom books of the Bible, Proverbs. June, we we did four messages. Let me just rehearse uh, by way of review the pursuit of wisdom in Proverbs. Then we, we talked about relational wisdom, and then we talked about words and wisdom, uh, words of wisdom, then money and wisdom. Last week, uh, or that was last week. Today, it's a little bit different. We're going to start Ecclesiastes, and, and here's the formula that we're, I'm going to use today. Influence plus decisions equals direction, okay? Influence plus decisions equals direction. I'll get back to that in a minute. Have you ever seen someone, or have you done this yourself, gone the wrong way on a one-way street? How many have ever done that before? Maybe Okay, okay, great. Um, you know, when you, you, when you do that and somebody sees you, what do they do? They go, hey, wait a minute, you're going the wrong way. You know, and, and if you see somebody doing that, you're going, hey, flashing your light. You're, you're doing everything you can to say, hey, you're going the wrong direction. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was watching, uh, maybe it was last week, uh, European uh, football, soccer, and, uh, and, and it's customary, if you know anything about soccer, it's customary for the team who's going that way, so their goalie is behind them, a lot of times they will turn the ball, kick it back to the keeper, the goalie, so that he can reset, right? He will, he will uh, uh, pass it to somebody else, kick the ball down the field or whatever, so this guy turns around, kicks it to the keeper of his team, and the keeper misses the ball, and it goes into the net, scores for, this is a true story, last week in European, uh, well, they're playing for something, I don't know what they're playing for, anyway, it's not real football, right, it's totally fake, but <laughs> I'm going to get an email on that, I know I will, it's awesome, love soccer, love Europe, love everybody, okay, <laughs> Vince Carter, I mean, former Maverick, and he's played for a lot of teams, but uh, inadvertently, he is at, he's under the basket, and he tips in the ball for the other team. Oakland Raiders, 2012, receiver catches the ball, tackler comes in, defensive guy comes in to tackle him, and somehow he gets turned around, and, and before he falls, he, he doesn't really fall, he's just kind of knocked away, and he begins to lean forward, doesn't fall, and he starts running the wrong direction. Pro athlete. Now, have you ever seen a hockey, pro hockey guy hit the puck into the wrong net, right? I mean, all of this. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, these guys know what they're doing, they're pro, but inadvertently, sometimes, they score for the other team. Inadvertently, sometimes, we turn our car on a street that is one way going the wrong direction. Now, it is the same in many ways, for our spiritual lives. Many times, we score for the opposing team. Many times, we start going the wrong way on a one-way street. Today, 
we're going to look at the book of the, well, we're going to start to look at the book of Ecclesiastes, but more importantly, we're going to look at who wrote it, in my opinion, who wrote it, I think most would agree, and what are we going to learn from his life. Now, when we talk about characters of the Bible, whether that be Abraham or Moses or David or Solomon like today, let me help you understand that we're not trying to be like them. We're trying to be like Jesus, okay? We're not trying to be like Moses. We're not trying to, now we can learn from Moses. We can learn from David. We can learn from anybody, Paul, Peter. We can learn from all of them, but we're not trying to be like them. We're trying to aspire to be like Jesus. But we, looking at their lives, see a reflection of our lives. It's really easy to judge Old Testament characters or even New Testament characters and go, what were they thinking? They were dumb. Oh my goodness. Oh, we should look in the mirror, right? Because many times, and that's what we're going to do today, we're going to kind of look at a very interesting story, a very interesting book. If you've ever read Ecclesiastes, it's very interesting. In one mouth, the writer says one thing about the goodness of God or, you know, being faithful. And then another, he just says, this is crazy. This is all meaningless. And it's, uh, we're, it's just, we're just futile, this whole thing. It's very interesting. Here's what I mean, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let's look. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. You ever had a bad day? Right? Have you ever had a bad day and you just, you're negative the whole day? I mean, you just write your, maybe you're writing your journal and you're just like, this day is awful. I hate my life. I hate my job. I hate, no. So I think Solomon here is having a bad day, perhaps having a bad season. He says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and round it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but it actually is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in the future generations, no one will remember what we're, going, what we're doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel and lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God, listen to this, has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Most of the book is like this. What's the deal? I mean, most of the book that Solomon writes, son of David, is filled with a bad day type of writing, a bad life. He's the same writer of Proverbs and Song of Solomon. But what's the difference in his life between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes? I think it's the difference between healthy living and unhealthy living. Here, here's what I mean. 
Let's look at, let's visit healthy Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter one. Solomon, son of David, took firm control of his kingdom. So when David died, King David, the second king of Israel, he had Saul, David, Solomon. There was a controversy of who was going to be king. He was not the oldest son. So the oldest son was usually next in line, but David chose Solomon to be next in line. So there was a big controversy over who was going to be king, and it was, it was a bad deal, right, in the family. But Solomon took firm control of his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. Solomon called together. First thing that he would do as king, now he's young, 15, 20 years old, somewhere in there when he takes over. Solomon called together all the leaders of Israel, the generals and captains of the army, the judges and all the political clan leaders. Then he led the entire assembly to the place of worship in Gibeon, for God's tabernacle was located there. This was the tabernacle that Moses, so you go back to Moses who led the people out of Egypt, and in the journey between Egypt and the promised land, he makes a temporary tabernacle of worship, a place of worship. Solomon's going to build a great temple, but it's not yet. In his, in, his, in his leadership. He's going to build a great temple for the Lord, but right now it's the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. Next verse. David had already moved the ark of God from wherever to the tent he had prepared for, you try to pronounce that, in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar made by Bezalel, son of Uri, uh, Uri and grandson of Hur, was there at Gibeon in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the people gathered in front of it to consult the Lord. There in front of the tabernacle, Solomon went up to the bronze altar in the Lord's presence and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. And here would be Solomon's response. Solomon replied to God, you showed great and faithful love to David, my father, and now you have made me king in his place. O Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? That's how he starts. He starts by leading the people into worship, calling the leadership of Israel together to say, hey, we're going to put our hearts toward the Lord, a thousand burnt offerings. And the Lord appears to him and says, what do you want from me? And here's what he says, I want wisdom to govern your people. God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people, and you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies, or a long life, but rather you asked for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame such as no other king has had before you and or will ever have in the future. Now, how many would love to have God appear to you in your room and say, hey, anything you want, I'm going to give it to you? How many would be in on that experience, right? How many of you, how many of us could be trusted? How many of us would say, hey, I just want wisdom? I just want to please you all the days of my life, and so I, that's what I want from you. Oh, if you say that, I think you're lying. I think most of us might say, and I'm including myself, 
Oh, Lord, bless my family. Oh, Lord, give me health. Oh, Lord, give me wealth. Oh, Lord, I'd like to be a pro football player and finally take the Cowboys to the Super Bowl. You know, whatever your, whatever your dream might be, right? I mean, most of us would say the Lord appears to us in, in, in our room, and he's saying, I'll ask anything, and it's yours. I want a new car. I want a new house. I want more money than I can. I mean, what are those things that you would ask for? Solomon, listen, here's the point. He starts off so well. He takes over from his, his, his infamous father. I mean, David is, is like loved by most everybody. Takes over at a young age and leads the people in worship. God says, whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. And he says, I just want wisdom to lead your people. I'm so humbled that you would choose me to, to lead your people. I'm young, I'm inexperienced, I don't know what to do. I Please, I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. And the Lord says, well, I'm gonna do that, but I'm gonna do everything else you didn't ask for. Healthy Solomon. Healthy Solomon would write this, Proverbs chapter one. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those who understand receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Solomon wrote most every verse in Proverbs, chapters 1 through 31, almost all of them. There's not one questionable verse, there's not one questionable theme in the whole book of Proverbs. If you've read Proverbs at all, 2,900 years ago, and you read it today, and you're looking at this and you're going, wow, how applicable, how wise. There's not one thing that you would go, what was he talking about? That doesn't make sense. No, you're going, yeah, that is so true. Oh, yeah, that is so true. Oh, that is so good. But there's another side to, to, to Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh, this is not about women, by the way. This is, this is about people in his life. It could have been a queen, and she allowed a, a queen that was serving God, and she could have, he, she could have allowed uh, other people, men from other foreign countries to, to marry. The, the idea was worship, okay? Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Hey, parents, uh, hey, kids, ask your parents today at lunch what that means. Um, you're welcome, parents. And in fact, they did, listen to this, and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, 
and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely. It wasn't like he said, there is no God. I don't worship him anymore. No, no, it was just a duplicity. If, if a Hebrew male knew anything about his religion in the Old Testament, he knew this. The Lord your God is one, and you worship him alone. They would know that probably among all the things they would know, they would know that first. And Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and he refused to follow the Lord completely, as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father, David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be the king of one tribe for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. What happened? You have a young man who starts off so well, worshiping God, becoming a leader, and calling all the leadership of Israel to come follow me. I'm going to lead the way into worship and sacrifice. The Lord appears to him and says, hey, what do you want? I just want, I just want wisdom. I just want wisdom to govern your people, to, to be the leader that you've called me to be. This brings us to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let's read the rest of the chapter. A little bit what we read, and then the rest of the chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I, the teacher, was king of Israel and lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under the sun. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is uh, missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. Speaking of his father David, Saul, the first king. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What did, what did he write in Proverbs chapter 1? Above all else, seek wisdom. This book, is this book is, the purpose statement of this book is to establish wisdom because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is true knowledge. And then he says, I've set out to understand everything, to learn wisdom, but the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. 
To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. This goes against everything he said in Proverbs. What happened? What what happened to this guy who says, Lord, I'm humbled. I'm inadequate. I don't know I don't know what I would ask for, but, but I guess I, I just want wisdom to lead your people. Please be with me. Let your grace, let your mantle of grace, let wisdom beyond my years, the experience that I don't have because I'm young, I'm asking you for wisdom for my life to lead your people. And then you read Ecclesiastes. You read 2 Kings chapter 11. And you can't help but wonder, what, what, what happened? Let me ask it like this. What is the difference between healthy Solomon and unhealthy Solomon? Now, now, before I give you the answer, I want you to think not just about Solomon. You know what I'm saying? Because we can look at Solomon and go, man, he, that, that's right. What in the world? He's, I don't understand that. That's, that's just crazy. How could anybody be that wealthy? God blesses him beyond measure. How could he turn his heart toward the Lord? I mean, this doesn't make sense. I want you to think not only a song, I just want you to think about your life and, and your journey right now spiritually. Have you ever been in a season of unhealthy living where you're making bad decisions, unwise decisions? Wiz, wiz, you're making decisions based solely against what God says. You're dating people who God would say, hey, not wise to date that, that person. You're, you're doing things that are, that are not wise. You ever been there? Don't raise your hands. Because I know all of you should raise your hands. All of us. So what is the difference between healthy Solomon and unhealthy Solomon? And let me give you the answer, and I know I've said it before, but it's the people he allowed into his life. It's the people he allowed into his life. 1 Kings chapter 11. I think I said 2 Kings. It's 1 Kings chapter 11. He says, now, we already read this, but I'm just going to read it again. Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they're going to turn your heart against me. They're going to turn your heart uh, toward their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives, of royal birth and 300 concubines, and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. What was the difference between healthy Solomon, unhealthy Solomon? The people he allowed into his life. This is where the formula comes in. Influence plus decisions equals direction. Or Decisions plus influence equals direction, right? Two plus three equals five, but five plus, or I'm sorry, three plus two equals what? Two plus three equals what? Three plus two equals what? Five. I didn't change it. Same thing. Here's what I mean. Seventh grade for me. This was about 13 or 14 years ago. <clears throat> Gone to summer camp in Kerrville, Texas. My first time to youth camp. 
Now, I've been to kids' camp before. Kids' camp's awesome. Yes. But youth camp was another level. I mean, I'm in middle school now, and I mean, it was phenomenal. I had a great, great experience, seventh grade, turned my heart toward the Lord, and, and really, really good. But I, when I came home from camp and I started seventh grade, which for us was middle school, um, guess what? I allowed some people in my life, I started hanging on friends that turned me away from the Lord. Seventh grade was, a, was kind of a rough year for me. I'd allowed some people in my life to turn me away from all the things that I knew. I didn't say there, I didn't fully say, oh, I don't believe in God anymore. That doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. I am, I am totally away from him. No, 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 no. It was just, they turned my heart away from the Lord. Now, two years later, the summer before my sophomore year, after my ninth grade year, went to the same camp, Kerrville, Texas. I've taken my son uh, Connor on a motorcycle ride, and we have gone to this very spot. I took him to the very spot in this open air tabernacle type building, and I told, took him to the very spot where I rededicated my life, and I've never been the same since that time. After that camp, the summer before my sophomore year, I came back to school, and God provided me friends that would push me in the right direction. And the difference between 7th and 10th grade was not John was more committed, John was awesome. The difference, it was the people I allowed in my life. And that group of people, we started a Christian band in our sophomore year of high school. We traveled all over South Texas, all over the valley, all over. We went to Kingsville, Corpus, Houston, San Antonio, anywhere that we, we sang for quinceañeras, right? We, at the, we did everything. We saw hundreds of kids, teenagers come to the Lord. We would sing our songs, and then I'd talk for about 10 minutes, and, I, and I'd say, anybody want to follow Jesus? Anybody want to make it? I mean, I mean, it was awesome. We became the number one contemporary Christian art. No, we didn't, but... <clears throat> but we had, a, we, had a, we had a great time. Can I tell you, everybody look at me, can I tell you the difference between 7th and 10th grade? The people I allowed in my life. Solomon started so well. And you've heard me say this 100,000 times. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I'm not just talking to teenagers today. You know I love the next generation. And if you're, if you're in elementary school, if you're in middle school, high school, you know that my heart is for you. I want more than anything for you to know and serve the Lord that I know. I want more than anything in, in this world, more than your academics, more than your sports, more than your arts more than anything that you could achieve in this life. What I want for you is to know and follow the Lord with your whole heart. But I'm not just talking to the next generation today. I'm talking to you, 52 years old, 67 years old, 
41 years old, 36 years old, 24 years old. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Solomon's relationships pulled him away from God's best. And the same thing that happened to Solomon happens to us if we allow it. The people in our lives that we allow into our lives either push us towards God's best or pull us away from God's best. So let me ask you two questions. The first is this. Who in your life is keeping you from God's best? I want you to think about it personally. I want you to think about who's in your, in your world. I mean, the real people in your world. I'm not just talking about you know, acquaintances at work or neighbors that you don't really know. I'm talking about people that really speak into your life, really have influence in your life. And who in your life is keeping you from God's best? Who's pulling you away from from serving him completely? If you're a married couple, I I want you to think about who is in your circle, who is in your, your, your world And are they influencing you, pushing you towards God's best for your life? Or are they they saying, come on, come on, let's do do this. And you know it's totally contrary. Totally contrary to what the Lord has spoken to you through his word. And you know better, but you're allowing them to influence you away from God's best. Some of you are dating people you should not be dating. Some of you are close friends with people that, I'm not saying you disown people, I'm not saying that, because we, we're all trying to, I mean, our, our heart here at Hope is to invite everyone to follow Jesus and then help move them to God's center, God's will, God's purpose for their lives. But man, the people that are closest to you will be the most influential people in your life. And are they pushing you toward the Lord or pulling you away from the Lord? Let's get into God's word. Let's go to small group. Let's go to Bible study. Or let's, let's, does that make sense what I'm saying? Who in your life is pushing you towards God's best? Who's pulling you away? Who's pushing you toward? Ecclesiastes gives us a picture of what unhealthy looks like. How will it end? Come back next week, and we'll see what happens at the end of Ecclesiastes. But today, my heart for you, please hear me. Whatever campus you're on, wherever you are online, my heart for you is that that you would think through, not just dismiss those questions, 
Because I'm not talking about people who are there for you when it's tough, people who are there for you when you're going through a trial. That's good, that's great. I'm talking about people who will actually push you towards God. And not just cry with you, but cry with you and, and encourage you to turn to the Lord for strength, to turn to the Lord for wisdom. Not let's just have another drink. So who's influencing you? It made all the, all the difference in direction for Solomon. And some of us are going the wrong way on a one-way street. And today, the Lord loves us enough to just say, hey, he's not mad at you. He's just saying, hey, hey, listen, you're going the wrong way. I've got better for you. I've got way better for you. Trust me. Don't let people pull you away from me. Surround yourself with people who will push you toward me. And I will show you blessing that you can't even, you can't even dream of. The difference in my life were the people who influenced me. And it's the same for you. It was the same for Solomon. Let's pray. God, your word is it's like a double-edged sword, and, and sometimes it hurts, and sometimes it's like, oh man, because it exposes who we really are, it exposes the difference between right and wrong. And, and, and a, lot of us, we, a lot of us don't like to be corrected. But Lord, in your mercy and your grace, it's your kindness that, that leads us to repentance. So Lord, would you, in some of our lives, speak so clearly and shine the light on the influences that we have that are pulling us away from you. And may we gravitate to the people who will push us toward you. May your kingdom come. May your will be done right here, right now, in this area of our lives as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.